has been around for thousands of years, but Canadians are increasingly turning to new methods such as mobile wallets and contactless solutions to make everyday payments. No matter what the future of payments holds, Interact will be there to help Canadians transact with confidence across multiple platforms and devices. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Friday, May 24th. We're in Toronto on this fine Friday morning. It's actually beautiful out, sunny, finally. I've got Marika Walsh of iPolitics and Mirat Hamadi of The Logic here with me at the Vocal Fry Recording Studios. Hello guys, how are you? Hi. Hi. It's Mirat. warm. It's I like warm. warm. It's so wonderful Finally. Outside. I gotta say, Mir- so good. Mirat and I have been, we've, we've been stuck in the Ottawa cold oh for a this, little bit this too long. year this okay but toronto's been i know just as bad you're right like, toronto's been bad and then i was in calgary last weekend and I, there was like two feet of snow <laughs> still on the hiking trails and you i was were, wearing yeah. a hat and yeah. gloves and a sweater i think we're 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 about there we're, we're getting there it's supposed to be nice this weekend yeah so we'll get into it so uh first up the federal government uh led by innovation minister navdeep baines unveiled its uh, uh digital charter this week aimed at protecting canadian online security and keeping companies in check when it comes to data accumulation. Baines made the announcement at the Empire Club in Toronto on Tuesday while most (laughs) tech and innovation reporters were at the Collision Conference, which Murad was at and I was also there, um, tucked away on on the other side of the city. Um, Did you end up going? You didn't end up going, did you? I didn't end up going because I was moderating panel 20 minutes later. Um, Okay, right. So I just waited for the release to come in. Okay. uh, And uh, sort of listened to the tech briefing while running to my panel. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Sounds like a day in journalism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this is part of the Liberals' uh, long sort of awaited digital strategy. What the heck is the, Mira, I'm going to start with you. What is, what is this digital charter? There, there's a few key elements. There's the, the, um, the data portability. There's the um, personal control and consent of your data. There's the prevention of hate speech, it sounds like. Um, regulatory enforcement. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of that high level. It's like it would be nice if we had nice things in the world. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, there's, 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 um, so there's these big picture principles, and I think the way to look at it is it's a document for consumers. Um, it's a document right. for, um, hey, you may have heard we have an election in October, um, and as there's this all this conversation around um, disinformation, um, you know, Cambridge Analytica yeah. is still right. sort of filtering through the news cycle. Um, it's a, it's a way of telling consumers, you know, at a very high level, um, like. We got you. Yeah. Um, how we got you, DBD. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you know, the the things that I think people will be looking out for is uh, among the principles are, and, and I'm literally reading out the, these things, it's safety and security, control and consent, transparency, uh, portability and interoperability. And if I made up some words and threw them in there, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. No. Um, now, th- there there is some stuff in here that I think is worth looking at, which is the, the changes to the, the Consumer-Oriented Privacy Act, which is PIPEDA, right. and I don't have the actual full acronym in front of me. But um, that, um, and, and so those are sort of signposts for how this might go. So okay. uh, take something simple like portability. Um, you know, um, there's this grand dream of an open internet or at least a more open yeah. internet in competition where you say, um, you know, you own your data. So yeah. Sarah owns her data. 
Um, and if she wants to take her financial data from a bank to a, like a little fintech startup, she should be able to do that because it's her data, right. but also in a way that allows the fintech to use it, you know, not yeah. some proprietary mm-hmm. uh, format that like this fintech can't read. Um, but that kind of stuff has to be legislated because frankly, big institutions don't do that, those things willingly. Right. Um, so the, that that's the kind of signpost that says, okay, we're, you know, there's there's some intent here. Yeah. We're going to get, get here down the line. But, I, and you know, in, in, in sort of uh, the defense of this government, they've been pretty clear that none of this is coming before the election. Um, Minister Baines talks about this as, um, he said to me a few weeks ago, we'll need another mandate to complete this if um, not two mandates frankly right if if you're if you you know when you're involving these massive organizations yep you know with huge lobbyists behind them huge government relations departments behind them i don't i don't think it's possible to see any of this happening quickly well and as we were just talking off air we were just talking about the european version of this the gdpr and you were saying Mariah, like it took you know 10 years to 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 create that let's say well we're what 10 years plus three years or something like that away from yeah. something like and, as and substantial so the 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 interesting thing i think from like sort of a political perspective is how we got to this moment right mm-hmm. we yeah. if you look back to three or four years ago and it, it, this is you know it's going to be a bit an oversimplification obviously but um the the trudeau you were seeing was trudeau opening google's waterloo headquarters mm. uh and then last week the trudeau we saw was trudeau in paris saying mm-hmm. you know we need to stay, start taking this stuff yeah. really seriously and he's been saying that now for sort of most of this year yeah uh but it's taken them a while to get to this point yeah um and what that means is um, you get this um, and, you know, you've seen it in Hill press conferences. You get this cycle where you're sitting there uh, and asking the minister of democratic institutions, the minister of national defense, the prime minister, the minister of innovation. You keep saying tech companies need to do more. What are you asking them to do? What yeah. specifically do you want well, them to yeah. do? This, this is what I was find interesting, too. I mean, we heard from, um, what was it, Minister of Democratic Institutions, Karina Gould, not long ago saying, you know, okay, now I think we're realizing that we're going to have to step in and, and regulate instead of assuming that these companies can regulate themselves. There wasn't much follow-up as to when that... But would- there's also a, well, duh, kind yeah. of thing yeah. about that. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? I think that it's... You know, in, in 2019 to be like, oh, yeah, clearly that they're not going to regulate themselves. I, I think by now we've seen time and time again yes. with things like Cambridge Analytica that that yes, that there are going to be gaps. Mm-hmm. And and I, you know, I saw a quote in the Global Mail, you know, from Trudeau in Paris talking about how, the, you know, the global we as political leaders have not been making this a priority. And I don't think that's actually the case. Yeah. I think if you look to Europe you see governments and organizations who actually have made this a priority and who are leaps and bounds ahead of us. And now, you know, we're five months away from an election where there are a lot of questions around who will have the power in the election, whose information will rise to the top. And a lot of that comes down to Facebook and Google. And then you see some company like Google being like, well, we're just going to pull out altogether from advertising because we don't want to fit in these rules right right and that's what happens and and that has been the pointiest edge of regulation in canada is this this registry requirement Mm -hmm. which google has said well no thank you um i will it is also interesting because you know um i was saying before we've got this the the the, uh 
International Grand Committee on Big Data, Privacy, and Democracy, which used to be the International Committee on Fake News and will be the International Grand Committee on something else the next time they meet, I'm sure. Um, of now, uh, you know, it was eight countries, uh, sort of MPs, MLAs, elected officials. Now it's going to be like 12 or something. So those kinds of organize, those kinds of, you know, that, the, the the first round of that was at the end of last year. Um, there has been this international cooperation happening and somehow like, the international leaders of some of those same countries chose last week to meet in Paris to talk about right. this. Now this is happening next week. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, I, I imagine there are some um, non-government MPs uh, on the Ethics Committee, which is kind of the committee that sort of yeah. gave birth to this thing from Canada's perspective, who are not, none too pleased that the Prime Minister stole their thunder last week because this has turned into a little bit of a political game now. Right. Um, the, the only other thing, though, I have to say, just sort of, uh, with mm. the business journalist hat on is that the the last year the government spent June to October consulting a whole bunch of stakeholders, particularly business stakeholders about data and like what it means for for business and the and the economy and how we can better use our data and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this uh, we were expecting, I think, maybe a little bit more out of this on, yeah. from that side. You know, there is right. a principle, and one of these principles is competition, uh, but they don't specify right. how. You know, they're going to maybe broaden the competition bureau's mandate. I won't bore you with the details of that stuff, but um, interestingly, at Collision, yeah, um, once I was done chasing, uh, <laughs> you know, the the minister around, um, we did. He- uh, I heard from a lot of companies that said, actually, we're not too fussed about this. Right. It's okay that they're taking their time to do it because we'd rather them do that than impose something really quickly. And really stringent or like... But- you know, but that's the that. Of course, companies will want them to which take is, their time. Which is the business, which is the business lobby of perspective, course, right? Yes, right. but you know how much time is needed and how much time have we already taken? I think is the question, and mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see how the other political parties respond to mm-hmm. the liberals' plan. I mean, there's not a lot of meat on the bones, no. so it's hard to even know how to respond. I was at a panel this week at at another club in Toronto talking about you know the disruptors online in political discourse and and all of them were like we don't really know what this is yeah they didn't even know how to respond to it because there's right. so little information about what the digital charter actually will be so i think you know it's one of these tbd discussions until they really you know put a proper it's- meal on the table for people to discuss and and digest then yeah. everybody else can really weigh in and see where this goes it kind of feels just like a bit of like a sprinkle before the election like we, we still on our, it's still on our you know priority list but we're not there yet i think it, it's also interesting like what was it a couple weeks ago that daniel Terran came out with the privacy com- commissioner came out with that report um about facebook's uh involvement in in some of these sort of murky areas mm-hmm. and you know, saying we really need the enforcement part of this, especially as we go into the next election, we're going to see these um, companies have ads up and fake news and all that. Like, we really need the enforcement element. But I don't know. I don't know, like, in a, how that could be put in place or if it could immediately in the five weeks. Well, this is the other thing. There's a legislative calendar. There are four sitting weeks left. Yeah. Or, we, sorry, four weeks, yeah. We assume they're not going to sit in September as they're scheduled to because the no, will have dropped not. by that point. Um, 
there's other stuff that they have to do. There's like, a lot on the plate. Which we are about to get into, actually. But yes, I know. Okay, so so, so yeah, there's a lot there's a lot at play here. I, I want to continue. So, so speaking of tech and innovation, I, I was over at Collision. You were over at Collision. Um, there were entrepreneurs, VCs, you know, everyone in the tech and innovation, social innovators, other speakers. Politicians were also there, including Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, um, as, we, as we mentioned, uh, Mr. Baines, um, Toronto Mayor John Tory and Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Um, both Trudeau and um, Tory sort of complemented Toronto's diversity for the, um, the, the for it becoming sort of this new tech hub, um, growing tech hub. Premier Ford was was booed, not maybe maybe not surprisingly. Um, uh, it was the same day on Tuesday that the government cut the artificial intelligence funding, and this goes along with some other science and and innovation and R and D and healthcare cuts that we're seeing at the uh, provincial level. You wrote about this this week. Mm-hmm. Well, more on the the healthcare side of things. Yeah. Is there a world in which we could say um, some of these cuts, I mean, are warranted or, I mean, I guess it goes against his sort of open for business m- mentality that he partly won the election on and, and, and then going and saying, actually, we're going to cut a bunch of... Well, yeah. I, I mean, it's because it, it comes to these really contradictory priorities that the government has set for itself, the province, I mean. So... You know, since the April 11th budget, it's been death by a thousand cuts or or pain by a thousand cuts because they're not big cuts in and of themselves. But there's a steady, steady drip, drip, drip Mm. of information about different grants, different research projects, different programs getting hurt, transfer payments getting cut by the government. And so because the Ford government isn't now in control of this narrative. They're constantly responding as news breaks of another organization saying we've been cut. So mm. in the innovation side, there yeah. was innovation seed funding, I think, cut. There was the yeah. AI funding being cut. There's healthcare research funding being cut. And so, you know, there is that drip, drip, drip. But on the flip side, the government was also elected to balance the budget. Right. So... So the challenge for Premier Doug Ford, and I think the biggest difference between what we saw in the Mike Harris era and in the Ford era, is that with Mike Harris, he campaigned on a plan to cut. And he was very clear what he would cut, how much he would cut. There was no surprises as much as many people were upset. And he was reelected because he delivered on what he said he would. The challenge for the provincial Tories now is that while they promise to balance the budget and they promise to cut taxes, they also promise to preserve services that no jobs would be lost. Yeah. And that's making this needle a lot more difficult to thread for them. Did you hear it all from people there on the floor about, uh, you know, Doug Ford's presence? Or have you talked to people who are, are pleased at the way things are going or angry? So I think it's a, it, it, the AI cuts are an interesting thing, and I think timing had to do with it. So... Um, the scuttlebutt on the floor was that the booing was um, coordinated, um, which is quite funny uh, for uh, <laughs> that particular audience. Uh, that yeah. was the thing that they were focused on That's coordinating. Um, I will say though, um, it wasn't. It didn't last that long. No. It happened, and then he was allowed to keep going. Um, what's interesting is that um, you know the federal government does this thing where they have like weeks where they'll go out and announce things. Like they're coordinated campaigns they send the ministers out to the the hinterlands right. to like do like 
10 million here, 10 million here, 10 million here. It's almost like they're following Doug Ford around Ontario being like, <laughs> Doug Ford is cutting this. We're going to go and put more money. Into yeah, I, I, think, like, I think strategy. you may have come up with a pre-election strategy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so specifically on um, on innovation funding. So the, the AI the AI hit pretty hard um, because the, we're having this, you know, at least this rhetorical AI moment. Um, and yeah. the Jeff Hintons and the Yashua Bengios are like the, the rock stars of uh, right. The, the sort of prime minister selling our AI capability to the world. Um, but but a couple of weeks before, and, and um, just to shout out my colleague Zane, who reported on, on this a little before it happened, the the federal government has been worried about these cuts for a while, actually. Like, they've seen this stuff coming yeah. um, to uh, the innovator, innovation, like, incubators and whatever, like Community Super Tech Mars, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Innovate, Innovate Ottawa. Um, and so um, I think it's... Um, you know, and the the actual hit might be that in the past, when the federal under the Win government, when the federal government put a bunch of money into a company or into a, a, a like an innovation project, the province typically put up some money as yeah, well they or matched match it, it or complemented it. Yeah, um, that money is right. now going away. So, right. Um, right. That that will be the big hit long term, and I don't think that the people on the floor at Collision quite understand that. No, yet. but I. And I just want to go back, though, to, you know, there's a few things in what you just said. First of all, I actually think the federal liberals are relishing the cuts, oh, politically yeah. speaking. Yeah. Um, I think they're actually overplaying them in, in many ways. You know, when, when the budget first came out, we saw the feds, you know, talking about how there wasn't the inflationary increase to healthcare spending wasn't actually in line with inflation. Well, the previous liberal government didn't do that regularly either. And so there is a bit of overhyping of the cuts that we're seeing actually in some areas, I think a lot of overhyping and you know, there is a reckoning that Ontario has to have, right? We have somewhere around a $10 billion deficit that's projected for this year uh, you know, in some years under the previous liberal government, spending increased by 6% yeah. a year. And so there is a reckoning. There is something's got to give, give, you know, yeah, and, and so so there there does have to be that discussion and that debate. And of course, the federal liberals are going to make political hay out of yes. it. And of course, Andrew Shears conservatives are going to be concerned that this might be a drag on their numbers. I will also note, though, you know, and again, I think the Doug Ford mandate is a bit more confused, so it's hard to see how voters will react to this. And we've seen in the polls that it's not going very well. Yep. But also on the East Coast, um, in Nova Scotia under Stephen McNeil, there was big cuts and he got reelected because he said he he would balance, mm-hmm. he would deal with the province's books. And that's what he did. And yeah. so I think that there yeah. might be some cold comfort or some hope from the actual premier's office that there is a silent silent. Yeah, majority minority. I mean, the polls suggest it's a minority yeah. now, but I think they there is it, some yeah. appetite for. I think there is too. Yeah, for, for sure. Reform. We could talk about this all day, but we're going to continue on. On Sunday, the ongoing trade spat between Canada and the U.S. and the U.S. and Mexico came to an end. The Trump administration lifted the tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum imports. Um, so it's been about a year, right? Because it was June, I think, of last yeah. year, yep. right? So the over a billion dollars collected from the uh, the counter tariffs that Canada slapped on the U.S. will go directly to the Canadian steel and aluminum industry. Um, this was kind of the last step needed uh, before the the ratification of, of NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA. And that is expected 
as we were saying off air, maybe next week because Vice President Mike Pence will be visiting Ottawa on Thursday. Uh, and the assumption there is that the legislation will or, or, or that it'll be signed and, and then put into place. And it's interesting. This is the he's coming before Trump has come and made an official visit, which is a, which is also kind of an inter- other than the Quebec visit, mm-hmm. but Very which was now infamous Charlevoix yeah. summit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So. What does this mean uh, in terms of next steps? Not to get too into the weeds, but it has to go through the House and then through the Senate. It's unlikely this will pass, I mean, unless they fast-tracked it through uh, before the summer. But I, I, I also feel as though it would probably be not strategic for opposition to um, totally kibosh this either. And Mr. Scher said he will... Um, support the government to get it through. Um, so there will be no Pierre Bolivar for the filibuster. <laughs> uh, Sleepovers and yeah. Yeah. The one cautionary note though is that um, yesterday the the president was having a bit of a, a spat with uh, yes. Nancy Pelosi over her timing of this. Uh, you know, she wants two more weeks to negotiate with uh, the U.S. trade representative. Uh, and uh, Democrats still have these concerns about uh, labor and labor in Mexico, and um, and there's another one, environment um, concerns. So the U.S. as usual could hold the rest of us up. Yeah, I think you know last week Trudeau got a big win with the tariff deal. Yeah, that was huge. If you look at other countries like South Korea, South Korea had to agree to quotas to get the tariffs removed. So. The fact that Canada is in a position where we don't have quotas is a huge win for Trudeau. And I think what you actually see with Pence visiting is Trudeau in some ways repaying the favor. Canada kickstarting the ratification process through the House to try and build momentum around the U.S. doing it. But as you point out, the U.S. has a much more complicated process. There's no majority government to just move something through. And so that's, I think, where the rubber will hit the road with this. It's right. whether Congress ratifies it, when, and whether they make any changes in the process. So bringing China into the mix here, Freeland has deployed a group of high-ranking parliamentarians down to China this weekend t- until tomorrow to try to get, um, try again to push for the release of Michael Spavor and, and Michael Kovrig. Uh, the two Canadians detained there over accusations of, of spying on the Chinese government. This after Canada arrested Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou in, in Vancouver at the Americans' request. So we've heard... Um, Freeland hasn't been able to meet with her counterpart. We've heard Trudeau can't get the attention of the president. How likely is it that this delegation will make any progress? Look, it was interesting. I think the, the sort of the reaction on the political panels is, is you know, oh, he's so lang- low ranking. What's he going to do? But at this point, I'm not sure that it can hurt. No. You know, if, if Freeland can't get her calls answered and the prime minister can't get his calls answered, then any inroad any threat of a relationship with somebody else yep is it's hard to see how that's a bad thing to right. build on i think it's a really difficult position right now and and but, if they're getting stonewalled stonewalled on all of these other fronts i i think i don't see how it's how there's a harm in trying but i wouldn't put high expectations no. on it making a breakthrough right and i mean as a as a it was the i think it was the chinese ambassador to Canada said, you know, our relationship hit, has hit rock bottom, right? So I guess um, from that perspective, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> I don't but, know. I, uh, think, I think there's always further down to go. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, 
a decade of uh, trade negotiations with India haven't produced a deal, and then the prime minister <laughs> went to India. So, uh, I uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't underestimate the downside. Uh, we do have this other thing coming up, which we were talking about, which is the 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 final decision yes. on Huawei and in five G networks in yeah. Canada. Um, you know, there Huawei does a fair bit of business here already in in network infrastructure, so it it's not you know. This is a giant company. Canada is always a limited yeah. market, but it's not good. It's not good press for them, no. uh, especially because they've been ramping up their hiring here. I just um, saw their R and yeah. um, They've hired like this network of uh, lobby firms and uh, a, a fair number of former uh, Tory staffers, yeah. which uh, might tell you <laughs> something about what how they see the election going. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and all that is happening concurrently. Um, that said, like, uh, we've had all these stories in recent weeks about the Trudeau government sort of, uh, you know, calling on this, uh, the U.S. government, the administration to intercede on their right. behalf because uh, ultimately all of this is a, a U.S. court case that, uh, <laughs> that Canada is kind of the, the wrapped in. Yeah. yeah, wrapped up in and and the the five G ban, you know, the um, Trump's executive order, right, which was last week, right? which was last yeah. week. Um, you know, the the administration has basically come out and said um, we're going to have to seriously reconsider sharing information with companies that allow Huawei into their networks. Um, you know, our our security infrastructure is pretty tightly tied to the yeah. U.S. security infrastructure. All of these things are things that uh, that are sort of being imposed on us from Washington. I know, it's crazy. But would it be wise? Like, yes, so Trudeau came, at, Trudeau came out the other day, you know, saying, you know, with stronger words than maybe he's ever had said about uh, China. Yeah, but but is that enough? I mean, could, could we go about and ban, uh, you were just saying how integrated Huawei is, and we still have this upcoming 5G network thing, but mm-hmm. could we go ahead and, and do something that aggressive or, or with the canola stuff? I mean, is, is there something, some action? I think it's really difficult to see how Canada makes any decision whatsoever on Huawei public, whether that's happened at the cabin table already, I don't know, but mm-hmm. whether they make a decision public until those prisoners are yeah. out of China. It's yeah. very difficult to see how they would ever make that decision because yeah. the consequences could be pretty severe for yeah. those two people. Um, I think that we're we're really a bit kind of cornered, yeah. to be honest. We are much smaller than China. And yes, Canada has been trying to build this coalition of <laughs> other countries to speak up for it. But let's get real. All those countries also have trade with China and Absolutely. also have economic interests with China and also rely on China for their economic growth. Right. So for them to stick their necks out for Canada loudly or regularly is, is hard to see how that happens. Right. Um, okay, moving on to our, our, our third topic here. The Liberal government has has selected eight news associations that will go on to select the media outlets that will then be granted some sort of um, some portion of the media bu- uh, bailout funds. So the organizations include, um, I'll list them here, News Media Canada, the Association de la Presse Francophone, the uh, Canadian Association of Journalists, and Unifor, the largest union representing journalists. So the $600 million bailout package was announced uh, in the Liberals' November 2018 economic update um, brought forward then by Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie. There was controversy then, um, heaps of, of backlash by the conservatives that any sort of you know media bailout would inevitably sway coverage in favor of the liberals 
especially going into an election. Um, on top of that, when it was proposed, it was stated that a, quote, um, you know, independent panel of journalists would decide the fate of, of particular media. So some have argued um, it, that's where it gets a little tricky. You know, you have media deciding who wh- who of the media gets the money. Well, it's actually a bit more complicated than that. It's these eight sort of their labor and company associations essentially they represent mm-hmm. labor and companies across Canada they will decide who sits on the panel, panel. that so, then decides right. what the qualifications are <laughs> to become eligible to access the tax credits so it's a bit of a windy road I think that it was created this way because the government's sensitive to the notion that they would be deciding what's new so they're trying to create an arm's length right. separation from it but because of who they've decided to sit on the panel that chooses the panel, it's become actually much more political and much more complicated. Okay, so who's the most, I think we know, who's the most controversial on that list? I think it's Unifor. Yeah. Um, Unifor has essentially publicly stated that that they are Andrew Shear's yeah, worst right. nightmare and they will be campaigning Jerry against D. Andrew <laughs> Shear. They were registered as a third party in the 2015 election. They Were they? Yeah, as a third-party advertiser, oh. and they campaigned against Stephen Harper then. Mm. And so, you know, I know I used to be represented by Unifor when I was at Global, and, and it's uncomfortable as a journalist, I think right. it's fair to say, to have that that <laughs> happening. And so I think given, um, given Unifor's history and what their stated plans are, it's hard to for some people to see this as not a political yeah. thing yeah. that they're now deciding who one of the people that gets to sit on this panel. Right. I should say I'm also a former uniform member, although they don't seem to have realized about the former bit because they keep sending me emails. <laughs> um, and, and actually, so that this was at McLean's. Um, and right. um, I'm struck by the fact that they co-opted um, McLean's uh, resistance cover uh, oh, yes. and are calling themselves the resistance now um, with the same uh, font. So there might be some copyright <laughs> issues there I should remind uh, my former colleagues about. Um, uh, look, Unifor has always been a strange beast to represent journalists yeah. because it, the way that journalists ended up within that union is a uh, is has nothing to do really with journalists. Like it, it's a combination of mergers right. and like uh, of yes. different unions over yeah. time that and that stuck them there. Right. Um, I will say I've seen and like uh, I'm going to express everybody else's views but my own on this topic. Um, <laughs> I have seen people say and I think there's some truth to this that um, that regardless of who ended up on this panel or the next panel or like you know if if you don't have at least three layers to get to a decision are you even in Ottawa? Um, <laughs> Regardless of who ended up on these things, it was gonna it be, was gonna get attacked. Yeah, it was gonna like get th- there was gonna get yes, be bad faith criticism, and there are ways to do it wor- better and ways to do it worse. I'm struck by the fact that of these eight, four are associations that represent media owners or journalists either pr- exclusively in Quebec or primarily in Quebec. Hmm. Half the country's journalists and media organizations don't operate in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, like that ratio just seems off to but me. That's the power of Quebec. Right. Um, but I think but I think what these things aren't accounting for is, um, you know, there are major there's a, there are major media groups in, in Quebec. PKP owns a whole bunch yeah. of stuff. Um, but 
um, you know, when we talk about media consolidation and, and the, the, the focus for like News Media Canada or whatever have, has been on Torstar and the National Post, right? Those are the two big uh, groups. But there's also out in, um, in Atlantic Canada, um, and, uh, you know, I'm sitting across from someone who actually lived there. Uh, <laughs> There's incredible consolidation in those markets in yeah. small ground papers, right? And those, and we don't. Um, this discussion doesn't happen in the same terms about that. Um, you know, we. Um, I'm coming out of the startup world. There's a lot of concern about mm-hmm. whether this in this favors incumbents over small startups, but, right? Um, and and that's certainly true in a place like Toronto. Um, you know, we we compete with yeah. the ROB and yeah. the Bloomberg and whoever else, but. I think it's even more dire in places where you've got two post media papers in a small town, or like mm-hmm. uh, one uh, star um, tour star paper in a small town, or a Blackwater paper that owns, uh, you know, every paper, every media organization within a like forty mile radius. Yeah, yeah. Forty miles is not a lot. I don't drive uh, <laughs> within a province wide radius of you. I don't know. Um, and these are not these are not conversations that are happening about this. And I think that's where this gets starts to get interesting, like the politics of it. Yeah. There was there was no way to do this well, and yet they've no. chosen the worst way to do it at every possible step. The one thing I will say is that if you're going to fund media organizations, I do think the tax credit that comes out at the end of it is the cleanest, simplest way yes. to do it. It's just that the bureaucracy to get there and choosing eligibility is, I think, what's raising so many questions and what, what makes it so difficult. The tax credit component, that is... Can you explain that really, really briefly? I'll try to. So there's a tax credit for companies like for labor. And then there's another temporary tax credit that people who buy subscriptions. Could okay. Get. Right. That's and then there's also one. another fund stream that I'm. The charitable one. The charitable the... one. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're right. I think no matter what the panel was going to be controversial. Um, and it's less about what journalists, um, assuming journalists can't do their work with integrity, whether or not they get money or money or not, like CBC can do their work with integrity. But it's it's what kind of the, the public's perception, I think, yes. will be as well. Like, oh, that's that's, you know, that's the government funded organization over there, you know. So and that's the I think that's one of the challenges is that it opens journalists up more to attacks that that rather than engaging with what's being reported can just be dismissed. Mm. And I think one of the things that journalists always struggle with and don't do a good job of is explaining what we do, explaining the separations that exist and, and the independence that exists between the business side and the editorial side. We already don't do a good job at that. And then we're going to add on this extra layer. And I think, I think communicating it is, is a challenge. I would also say though, you know, the last two weeks in news about journalism organizations, restructuring, buyouts, paring down, sizing down, tells you that the industry is really struggling. Yeah. It's not some, it's not a pretend conversation. Right. right. It's needed. And we're actually very good at, uh, I completely agree, we're very bad at talking about the, the editorial separation. Um, we're very good for some reason about talking at talking about our process. And I don't think the public cares, frankly. Mm. Like, I, I think we do, like, there's this weird media reporting about media problem where, like, we that that conversation, you know, uh, I don't control the ads that run beside my stories. I sometimes mm. don't write my headlines. Like, those conversations mm. are the things that you tell people when they send you angry mail. Yeah, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, pu- papers will publish these long investigations and they publish, they'll publish a story behind a story 
story and that i always find those fascinating and i mm-hmm. think the public really yeah, I do doesn't too, but, um but but i i say this to say like i think we're i think we explain the wrong part of our business often i think mm. we uh i think we sometimes imagine that the work will be more valuable if people think how, if people understand how much work we've put into it oh, i think yeah, the no, work is care. more valuable if people understand that we're doing it from a position that's not dependent on on an advertiser on a corporate owner on a oh i don't know government with 600 million dollars to hand out right okay we're going to leave it there guys this is a good conversation thanks for joining can i get your twitter handles please at marika walsh uh mine's at murad hem if you can spell my name good luck good luck and mine's at turbo sarah we'll see you next time The age of personal check is coming to a close. While tools such as Interact e-transfer have largely taken their place for personal use, many businesses are still reliant on checks. 54% of businesses believe that they are spending too much time on payment processing. What will it take for companies to finally ditch the check? Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.